starting in verse 13, read down through verse 18. So James chapter 5, verse 13 through verse 18, where James writes, Is any among you afflicted? Let him pray. Is any merry? Let him sing psalms. Is any sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with the oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith shall save the sick and the Lord shall raise him up. And if he have committed sins, they shall be forgiven him. Confess your faults one to another and pray for one another that ye may be healed. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Elias was a man subject to like passions as we are, and he prayed earnestly that it might not rain, and it rained not on the earth by the space of three years and six months. And then he prayed again, and the earth gave her rain, and the earth brought forth her fruit. I want to pay specific attention to that verse uh, 16, where it says, The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. And I want to take from my title, putting in work. Putting in work. Younger people in the room will know that expression because it's an expression that I've heard maybe millennials and Gen Zers use to say that they are, you know, diligently committing themselves to something, working on something. They're not just sitting around and doing nothing, right? So, for example, maybe if you're at the, the gym and your friend texts you and says, well, uh, what are you doing right now? Oh, I'm putting in work. And really, you're just sitting there on your phone, like scrolling through Instagram, but you're, you're, you, know, you, you should be like lifting weights and, and working out. Or someone might text you uh, the night before a, a big test and say, man, what, what's going on tonight? You want to go watch a movie with us or something? And, and the, the kid will say, oh, I can't. I'm, I'm putting in work tonight. What are you doing? I'm studying. And I chose that for my title because I couldn't think of a better phrase to, to paraphrase uh, the latter half of verse 16 of the James 5 than that. Because what James is saying is prayer is putting in work. Why do I say it like that? Look at that word, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth, availeth much. So that's the present participle, so it's a past completed action that has ongoing effects. And so the prayer may have been completed in the past, but it's having ongoing results into the future. And the word availeth, that is the same Greek word that other places in the Bible is translated as work. You all know um, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 11, probably the most uh, encapsulating statement of God's sovereignty, maybe in the entire Bible. God who works all things after the counsel of his will. You know what the underlying Greek word is there for he works all things? He works energeo. You know what the underlying Greek word for availeth is? Energeo. Okay, so the same word that's translated availeth or is availing other places in the Bible has been translated as work. So prayer is putting in work. And here's what's awesome. Because of the tense of this word, availeth or is availing, there could have been prayers that were prayed years ago that are still having ongoing effects now. So, for example, someone may have prayed that God would bless you know, Heritage Church to grow and to have people meeting and worshiping for years to come. And look at this today. We have a good crowd here at church this morning, people worshiping together. 
Like, that is God actively answering prayers that were prayed years ago. And God willing, are still being prayed. So that's why prayer is so powerful, because prayer puts in work after the fact of when the prayer is first prayed. Prayer has ongoing effects. So I want to look at these series of verses under three headings. First, the source of powerful prayer. So we've seen that prayer is powerful, right? A prayer that was prayed hundreds of years ago could still be having ongoing effects based off this word availing. It's just ongoing effects into some indefinite time in the future. So what's the source of this powerful prayer that puts in work for years to come? So we'll look at the source of powerful prayer. It's the prayer of faith. The prayer of faith is what God says has the ability to save the sick, and if they've committed sins, they shall be forgiven him. So it's not just any old prayer. It's the prayer of faith. That's the source of powerful prayer. And then we want to look at the um, results of powerful prayer. I mean, this is amazing stuff. We're seeing sick people being healed. We're seeing sins being forgiven. And we're seeing spiritually ill people who are sinning against each other, we're seeing healing in those relationships in verse 16. Confess your faults one to another and pray for one another that ye may be healed. So there the healing is talking more about the spiritual healing that needs to come with, when we have broken relationships, when we're sinning against each other. Confessing your faults, praying for one another, that's going to bring healing for the spiritual sickness that brings about broken relationships. And then lastly, an example of powerful prayer, because James wants to give us an example. You know, sometimes teachers on the chalkboard and you're just not really getting it, and then they give you a concrete example and everything just kind of clears up. That's what James does with Elias. Elias was a man subject to like passions as we are, and he prayed. So he gives us an example of powerful prayer. So first, the source of powerful prayer. The source of powerful prayer, like we've said, is faith. It's faith, okay? Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6 says that without faith, it's impossible to please God. So you take anyone out there that's praying, um, and they're just maybe praying in in some spiritual sense. They're not, they, they don't have faith in Christ. They're just kind of spiritual or religious. Those prayers are just hitting the roof. They're not doing anything. Because it's impossible to please God without faith in Christ. Impossible, according to Hebrews 11, 6. 1 Peter chapter 2, 5, and 6 says this, Ye also as lively stones are built up a spiritual house and holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices. What's an example of a spiritual sacrifice? Well, it could be your prayer. Like the prayer that you pray for the sick, for your relationships, for spiritual healing, that could be an example of a sacrifice that is acceptable unto God. But how, how could my prayer, I'm such a sinner, I'm so weak, I feel so just unworthy and not good enough at times, but how is my prayer going to be acceptable unto God and like to enter to Him and He accept that? It's by Jesus Christ. It's nothing to do with what you've done. It's nothing to do with how many Bible studies you've been to or how many times you've read your Bible this week or how many times you've, um, you know, even cooked a meal for, for a sick person, even though those are all things we should be doing. It's not based on that. It's not based on your works. It's based on Jesus Christ and what he did for you on the cross and for you just throwing yourself on Christ, trusting in Christ, 
relying on Christ. That's what faith does. And so the person that's just throwing themselves on the cross of Christ, having trusting in him and coming to him, knowing their need, like that's what's acceptable unto God. That's the spiritual sacrifice that's acceptable to God when we come to God by faith, knowing that Christ is everything for us. We rely on him for everything. We're trusting in him for every good and perfect gift because every good and perfect gift comes from above and comes through Jesus Christ by faith. And so the source of powerful prayer is faith in Christ, and without it, it's impossible to please God. But with faith in Christ, you can actually offer a spiritual sacrifice that's acceptable to God, and you can pray powerful prayers that are going to have ongoing effects into the future. So the source of powerful prayer is faith in Christ, and that alone, according to our text. The prayer of faith. Well, what's it going to do? What's the results of powerful prayer? Well, we're given several. First, save the sick. And if he have committed sins, they shall be forgiven him. So we want to note a couple things about that verse. It says, if he has committed sins, they shall be forgiven him. So what's the implication? Sometimes physical sickness comes as a direct result of known unconfessed sin in our life. Now, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 29 and 30 will give an example of that, where Paul writes, 1 Corinthians eleven twenty-nine 29 and 30, For he that is eating and drinking unworthily, in the context of the Lord's Supper, is eating and drinking damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. All right, so members in the church at Corinth are just dwelling in known unconfessed sin. They're treating each other terribly, and... Paul's saying, look, when you all are abiding in known unconfessed sin and then you're coming to take the Lord's Supper, this is not honoring to God. He says, this is actually the reason why many are weak and sickly among you and many sleep. And so physical sickness is being sent on the church at Corinth as a result of known unconfessed sin. But this is not always the case. Sometimes we may jump to the conclusion that someone is sick because of sin. Now, this is what Job's friends did. They said, Job, you're experiencing all these boils in your body. You're having sicknesses. You're having temporal judgments because of sin in your life, right? And that, we we know from the book of Job, was was not the case. God, God was testing Job, okay? And so, oftentimes, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they would see people that were sick, and they would jump to the conclusion that they were sick because of some sin that they had done. And Jesus rejected that. Now look at John chapter 9, verse um, 1. Here's in John chapter 9, verse 1, Jesus passed by and he saw a blind man. Uh, He had been blind from his birth. And here, you know, I kind of, through a jab at the Pharisees and Sadducees, but here actually it was Jesus' disciples that assumed the, the man had, had sinned and that's why he had become sick. So, so Jesus passed by this man that was blind from birth and his disciples in John 9, 2 asked Jesus, Master, who sinned, this man or his parents? Right, because he's blind, he's dealing with a physical infirmity, so obviously he, he, he sinned, right, or, or his parents did, Right. And Jesus said, Neither hath this man sinned nor his parents, but that the works of God should be manifest in him. 
right? I always think about that verse in, in John chapter 12 where the Savior talks concerning Lazarus. He says, this sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God might be glorified thereby. So maybe sickness comes as a chance for God to show His glory and to show that He is the healer. Maybe it's not because this guy sinned or because his parents sinned. Actually, in this case, we know it's not because this guy sinned or because his parents sinned, because Jesus said so. He says, this sickness, this this blindness, like this man was born blind so that I could be glorified and so that people could see that I am the healer and so that people could see that Jesus had the ability to heal blind people. This is why. This is why this man was born blind. That the works of God might be made manifest, right? Not because of some specific sin that he or his parents did. And so we shouldn't jump to conclusions when we see people sick, blind, or with some other infirmity. It could be for the glory of God, that the Son of God might be glorified thereby. Right? So... It brings glory to God when we rest in the truth that He is healer. In the Old Testament, one of the names of God is Jehovah Rapha. I am the Lord that is healing you. So it's not just something He does on the side. It's not just a a thing that He can do but doesn't always do. No, it's part of His nature. It's part of His name. In Exodus chapter 15, verse 26, If thou wilt diligently hearken to the voice of the Lord thy God and wilt do that which is right in his sight and will give ear to his commandments and keep all his statutes, I will put none of the diseases upon thee that I have brought upon the Egyptians. Why? Because I am the Lord that is healing you. I'm Jehovah Rapha. It's part of his name. And it brings glory to God when it's put on full display that he is the healer. And so, the prayer of faith shall save the sick, and if he've committed sins, they shall be forgiven him. And that's comforting. So whether or not the, the sin has come as a direct result, I mean, whether or not the sickness has come as a direct result of known unconfessed sin, or whether or not the sickness God sent because of some other reason, regardless of the cause, God is the healer. He is Jehovah Rapha, and he is glorified when we realize that he is the Lord that is healing us. But notice in verse 16 that spiritual healing, spiritual healing is linked to confessing faults and prayer. Now, we need physical healing. We've seen that like sickness is a real thing. Maybe one of the reasons why I'm thinking about this verse a lot is because back home we've had a lot of things happen that have just made us prayer. We had three uh, a man in our church who was thrown off of his bicycle, broke five ribs, um, collapsed lung, and a broken clavicle. The next day, we had a, a homeschool mother who we knew growing up who was hit by a car and is in critical condition. And then closer to home, about three days later, we heard that Sheila Holden had a stroke. And so we've just been in a constant state of prayer and for, for physical healing for these people. And sometimes I think we say things like, all we can do is pray. Kind of like this is, this is, this is kind of pitiful and a, a bit of a last resort, but all we can do is pray. We really shouldn't say it like that because that's not what the Bible teaches about prayer, that it's just last resort, 
kind of backup plan. Prayer is the remedy that God is giving through James. It's the effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man that's putting in work. And it could have been prayers that were prayed years ago. God is still using that as the remedy based off the tense of this word because it has ongoing effects. So we got to stop saying things like, all we can do is pray. No, prayer is the remedy. So when it comes to these people that I just named that are dealing with real difficult physical problems, prayer is the remedy. Prayer is what God will work through, in part at least, to heal these people. Actually, the, the first man I named the, with the broken ribs, he was at church last Sunday, and he prayed for the other two women because God healed him and is healing him because God is Jehovah Rapha. So we need God's healing for physical infirmities horribly. That's the remedy. Prayers, powerful prayers of faith is what God will work through to bring physical healing to all of these people I just named and to you all and your family and friends that are experiencing sickness. But we also desperately need prayer for spiritual healing. I might even be so bold as to say we more so need prayer for spiritual healing because, you know, whether or not sickness comes as a direct result of, of your sin, which oftentimes it doesn't. We've, Jesus told us that in, in John 9. Like sickness and physical infirmities come as a, as a result generally of the fall. We live in a sinful world. That's why when we see people that are, are, are sick or have been injured, we just don't feel right. We feel sad because it just, something doesn't feel right about that because it feels broken and it feels wrong. And that's because of the fact that it it is broken and it is wrong. And when we see people sick and having physical infirmities, it's just a reminder that we live in a sinful world that is desperately in need of spiritual healing. And Physical sickness came, physical infirmities came, dying came as a result of the fall. So we are in desperate need of spiritual healing. And that's why we need to be interested in what brings about spiritual healing. Well, look at verse 16. Confess your faults one to another and pray for one another that ye may be healed. All right, so there's two elements that James is giving us that bring about healing. And that's what we want, right? If you're dealing with some, if you're dealing with just depression, if you're dealing with anxiety, if you're dealing with just sins that plague your mind all the time, like you want healing from that. You want freedom from that. And so this is what the scripture is saying that will bring about healing. First, confessing your faults one to another. Now that's hard. Like that's hard sometimes to confess your faults. Sometimes it's just a tendency to be a steel trap hide things, put on your Sunday mask, let's pretend everything's okay. But that's not what Scripture is saying to do here. It's saying to confess your faults one to another. Specifically, if you've sinned against somebody in particular, I think he's saying go confess your fault to them. But the other side of that coin is we need to be cultivating an atmosphere, relationships, where we feel comfortable enough to do that. And when someone comes and confesses a fault to you, don't push them away and make them feel like they are isolated. The devil's doing enough of that, right? That's why I think Paul 
uh, is inspired by God to write in, in 1 Corinthians 10.31. He says, No temptation has taken you, but such as is common to man, and there's also a way to escape. That's so comforting to hear that the, te- the temptations that fall on us, the spiritual sickness that we feel in our bodies and in our minds. Paul says, there's not one of these spiritual sicknesses that you are dealing with, but such as is common to man. Right? Jehovah Rapha looks at you and he says, I've seen this before. I have the medicine that can heal it. And that medicine is the gospel. It always has been and always will be. And the prayer of faith is an, is an instrument that God will use to bring about spiritual healing. But common to man, that's comforting to know that the faults that I'm dealing with are common to man. And so rather than isolating people and making them feel lesser than when they come to you confessing faults, tell them, brother, there's no temptation or sister. That, 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 like there's nothing that you're dealing with right now that's not common to man. It's common to man. And the Lord that healeth thee, Jehovah Rapha, has seen this before. And I'm going to be with you. I'm going to pray for you and, and comfort you during this. So that, that's an example of cultivating an atmosphere where people are comfortable with confessing faults. And we need to do that because it's confessing faults is one of the elements that's necessary for the spiritual healing being talked about in verse 16. So we need to be cultivating relationships and atmospheres in church where people feel comfortable confessing their faults and knowing that they're not alone and that the things they're dealing with are common to man and there is a way out and a way to escape based off of uh, 1 Corinthians 10.31. But then it says pray for one another. So confessing your faults and praying for one another. We have to have both. And how am I going to know what to pray for as it relates to you in particular unless you confess your faults, unless I confess my faults to you? Like if I, if I, if I don't confess my faults, you're not going to know the specific things to pray for for me. And when we look at our example of powerful prayer with uh, Elijah, we'll notice that he was being specific. And so that's why we have to have both fault confessing and prayer so that we can pray specifically. Galatians chapter 6, verses 1 and 2, Paul writes, Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore. Restore. Restore such an one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. So first he says, you which are spiritual, restore such an one. Now what is he saying here? Is he saying, you who are not dealing with, with physical sickness or you who are not dealing with spiritual sickness and the people who are, quite frankly, just better than everyone else and who are, are spiritual and religious and just overall okay, is he saying, you people worry about everybody else? That's not what he means by the word spiritual. The underlying word says, of that which is being actuated by the divine spirit. What does that mean? Romans chapter 8, verse 14. As many as are led by the spirit of God, they are the sons of God. So when he's saying you which are spiritual restore such in one, he's not saying you which are better than everyone else. He's saying you which are being led by the spirit. And if you're, if you're a Christian, 
like you are being led by the Spirit because the Spirit dwells inside of you. So he's basically just saying other Christians, other people who have been born, been born again and brought to faith in Christ, you should be restoring people. So we're not pushing them away and making them feel horrible. We're restoring them. And what's our spirit? We're meek. We're knowing that we are, like, th- this, this temptation, this sin, this fault that they're dealing with is common to man, and I'm subject to it as well. And so I have a spirit of meekness, and I aim to bear their burden with them rather than make their burden heavier. And I'm able to do this not based off my own goodness or my own uh, religiosity, that's a word. I'm able to bear people's burdens when I'm being led by the Spirit. And the Spirit is a gift of God's grace. John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35. Jesus says, A new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another. As I have loved you, you also love one another. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples, if ye have love one to another. What better way to show love to your neighbor than to bear their burden with them? Right? They confess your faults to you. Don't push them away. Show them love. Be in the spirit of meekness. Restore them. The aim should be restoration because, you know what? The Lord is Jehovah Rapha. The Lord, nothing is too hard for the Lord. He can restore any physical infirmity, and he can restore, more importantly, any spiritual infirmity. We need to be open with each other. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 10, Paul, writing to Timothy, says, You have fully known my doctrine, my manner of life, my purpose, my faith, my long-suffering, my charity, my patience. When we go to 2 Timothy chapter 3, I think oftentimes we, we jump to verse 16, right? Because we love that verse. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. It's profitable for doctrine, for proof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that you may be perfectly and thoroughly furnished. But when you look at 2 Timothy 3, there's also this clear picture of this close, intimate relationship between Paul and Timothy. I mean, how many people could you look at in this room and say, you fully know me, like we fully know each other? Paul and Timothy could say that. You fully know me, Timothy. The context of this, of this chapter, 2 Timothy 3, in a broader context, is perilous times, a lot of wickedness going on in the world. We can relate to that. So how important is it then that we can have people that we trust and that we know that love us and that we know want to restore us? It's so important for us to have those types of people in our lives because those are the types of people that we're going to feel comfortable confessing our faults to, just like the Bible commands us to do. So let's aim to open ourselves up to have more relationships like Paul and Timothy where we fully know each other. And so I I can confess my faults to you and know that you're going to love me. And by this, all men shall know that we're God's disciples. And I know that you're going to pray for me and not push me away. So the two elements, spiritual healing, fault confessing, and prayer. We need to be cultivating an environment at church and our relationships where we feel comfortable confessing our faults bearing each other's burdens, 
loving one another and praying for each other because it's when we do these things that God promises healing. Isn't that comforting? Confess your faults to one another and pray for one another. You know what the result's going to be? Healing. According to verse 16, the ongoing results. So I think too often we see people and we say, man, I'll, I'll be praying for you. I'll, I'll be praying for you. But let's pray for them right there. Just grab them and say, look, can I pray for you real quick? Because to be honest, I've said that in the past. I'll be praying for you. And I just didn't. Just not, not because of malice or just didn't care. Just maybe forgot. But if you just grab them there in that moment and say, hey, brother, can I pray for you right now? The promise of Scripture is the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man is availing much. So that prayer that you said at that one moment, even if you forgot after the fact, like that prayer, the promise of God is, can have ongoing effects. That's powerful. Just to, in that moment, say a prayer for that person. And if there's faults uh, at issue, confess those faults. And that will have ongoing effects based off of the text that we just read. So the results of powerful prayer, powerful prayers of faith, they can bring about physical healing, which we, we need that right now in, in a special way um, for, for our, many of our loved ones, but they also can bring about, more importantly, spiritual healing, for which sin is the result, I mean, for which sin is the cause of sickness coming into the world even to begin with. So we're in dire need of the physical, but more importantly, spiritual healing that powerful prayers of faith can bring about. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man is putting in work. But lastly, in, in conclusion, I want to look at an example of powerful prayer because that's the order of the text. We, we see the source, it's prayer of faith that can do these amazing things like saving sick and forgiveness of sins and uh, spiritual healing. So what does a powerful prayer of faith look like? Well, that's why we need an example of powerful prayer. And James will use Elijah, where James writes, Elias was a man subject to like passions as we are, and he prayed earnestly that it might not rain, and it rained not on the earth by the space of three years and six months. First problem we see with Elijah, he's a man of like passions as we are. What type of passions have you dealt with this week? What type of lustful, sinful passions have you had in your heart this week? I think for a moment, and I'm like, Elijah was like that? Why would God ever want to hear a prayer from someone like that? And even more amazingly, how could a person like that be called righteous? Because if you noticed our text in verse 16, it's not just any old person. It's a righteous man. The effectual, fervent prayers of a righteous man, those are the prayers that put in work. And as your pastor said earlier, the comforting news of Scripture is righteousness comes by faith in Christ. We offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable unto God by faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please God, but the implication is with faith, it's possible to please Him. The righteousness of, of faith speaks on this wise. Romans 10, righteousness comes through faith in Christ and not based off of works. And so, if you're a believer in Jesus today, 
you are righteous not based off of your own works, but based off the imputed righteousness of Jesus Christ. And so if you're just trusting in Christ today, if you're relying on him, it can truly be said of you, you're a righteous man, not based off your works, not because of the righteousness inherently in you, but because of a righteousness totally outside you. And God's looking at you and he's saying, you're white as snow. I'm not looking at your um, sexual sin and your um, anger and your resentment towards others that you, that you struggle with. I'm not looking at those things. I'm looking at the righteousness of my son, Jesus Christ, who died on the cross. And I'm looking at you and realizing that you're trusting in him by faith. And so that's why it can truly be said of the believer, you're righteous because of Christ. And that's why your prayers are powerful and they have ongoing effects into the future. And that's why Elijah, who is a sinner just like us, could be counted righteous because Elijah trusted in God and he looked ahead to Jesus Christ and received the righteousness of Christ by faith. That's why a person with with passions just like me and you can be called righteous because of the gospel. So praise be to God for that. But he was a man subject to like passions as we are, and he, he prayed earnestly that it might not rain, and it rained not on the earth by the space of three years. Now that prayer, so there's two prayers here that he prayed. First was in 1 Kings 17, the opening verses. Elijah prayed for a drought as, as a judgment on the land, and God answered that prayer, and, and God sent a drought. And at least in uh, Jackson, Mississippi right now, we're, we're having a drought, so I don't know if it's judgment. I mean, we definitely deserve it if, we, if it is because of that, but we can relate to droughts. God sent a drought based off of Elijah's prayer, and that's recorded in 1 Kings 17. But then in 1 Kings 18, verses 42 through 45, Elijah prayed again, and God sent rain, and the earth brought forth her fruit. So let's turn back to 1 Kings 18, and let's look more closely at this prayer that Elijah prayed. So we'll look at 1 Kings chapter 18, verses 42 through 45, right? The context here is Elijah going to God in the middle of a drought and praying for rain. So we'll start with 1 Kings 18, 42. So Ahab, who was king of Israel at that time, a wicked king, went up to eat and to drink, and Elijah went up to the top of Carmel, and Elijah cast himself on the earth, and he put his face between his knees, and he said to his servant, Elijah said to his servant, go up now and look toward the sea. And he went up, and he looked, and, and the servant said, nothing. Don't see anything. Prayer isn't working. And then Elijah said, Go again seven times. It came to pass at the seventh time that uh, the, the servant said, Okay, behold, there's arising a little cloud out of the sea, uh, kind of like a man's hand. So this is not Hurricane Katrina. This is not a huge thunderhead that's going to bring about the type of rain that's going to cause the earth to bring forth her fruit and to 
remove the effects of a three-year drought. It's a little cloud, kind of like a man's hand. So not exactly a torrential downpour. All right, so the servant says, nonetheless, okay, so now there's a little cloud, and it's kind of like a man's hand. And he said, go up and say unto Ahab, this is now Elijah talking, you prepare your chariot, and you get thee down, that the rain stop thee not. If I'm the servant, I'm saying, you're crazy. This crowd's, this, this, this cloud's like a man's hand. This is not going to be a torrential downpour. Like Ahab does not need to be taking emergency flood precautions right now. But Elijah's expectant. Okay? So it came to pass, in the meanwhile, back to our text, that the heaven became now black with clouds and wind, and there was a great rain. All right, so five things about, about Elijah's prayer. First, he is persistent. He's persistent, right? He prayed earnestly. And we see that back in 1 Kings 17 as well, right? The entire time, he's sending his servant to go back seven times. Keep going back. Keep going back. All the while, Elijah is there with his face between his knees, and he's casting himself on the ground. So not only is he persistent, he's also humble. Now, some of us don't have the flexibility to stick our face between our knees and all, but you see the point. He's humble. He's coming before God just in a humble spirit, in a meek spirit. And then thirdly, we see that he's patient. He's patient. The servant's like, look, I, first he said, I don't see anything. God's not answering this prayer, man. He says, you go again seven times. Persistent. Persistent, persistent. I'll be praying humbly before God. You go again seven times. And then a little cloud starts forming. Okay, so we're seeing the ongoing, ongoing results into the future of, of Elijah's prayer. So he's patient. Notice he's also specific. Elijah's specific. He prayed earnestly first that it might not rain, and then he rained, and then he prayed again that it would rain. So when we pray, we should pray specifically. It's, of course, you know, in, in view of always asking for discernment on what God's will is, and, you know, we always want the glory of God to be the first priority uh, in our life and in our prayers. But the Bible gives us an example of prayer here, and these prayers are specific. So we pray, so Elijah's praying specifically, and then he's expectant. Fifth, the fifthly, he's expectant. He doesn't start to doubt. He says to his servant, you go again seven times. Okay. Servant so comes back a little while later. Well, now there's a little cloud, but it's like a man's hand. This is not the type of rain that we need. We need heavy rain. We need, we need black clouds and wind, and we need a great rain. Well, you know what, Elijah, he keeps praying. He's persistent. He's humble, he's patient, he's specific, but he's expectant. He's expecting God to answer, and he does. He does. God answers. He sends a great rain. So these five things, persistence, humbleness, specificity, patience, and then being expectant, these are all things we see in our example of what a powerful prayer of faith looks like. I love these words by Matthew Henry where he comments on James chapter 5, um, 
verse 17, he says, Let us never despise the day of small things, but hope and wait for great things. From what small beginnings have great matters arisen? That's so comforting. So don't get discouraged when you don't see immediate results of your prayers. Elijah didn't. He was expectant. He was persistent. He was patient. He was specific. And he was humble before God, trusting in God. And God answered his prayer. And God's still answering prayers today. Powerful prayers of faith. Not powerful because of how great you are or because of how spiritual you are in the sense of being this religious and better than everyone else. They are powerful based off the fact that you're being led by the Spirit. The Spirit creates faith, trust in Christ. Now you can make a prayer that's acceptable to God. So in this text, we see the source of powerful prayer. It's faith. The amazing results of, of, of real healing for spiritual and physical infirmities. And then we see an example of powerful prayer in Elijah. He was persistent. He was humble. He was patient. He was expectant. And yes, he was specific. And when we're praying, don't get discouraged when you don't see things happening right away. Because like Matthew Henry said, hope and wait for great things. Just like Elijah did. Because from what small beginnings have great matters arisen. And take comfort. Going back to our very first text we we focused on. Take comfort that prayers you prayed years ago are still having effects today. And a prayer that you pray today could still have and will have, based off this text, ongoing effects into the future. God is still working through prayers prayed in the past. He's working through powerful prayers of faith that are putting in work. Let's pray. Dear God, thank you for the blessing to be here today at Heritage. Thank you for the promise that the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Not righteous based off our works, but you tell us in Romans chapter 4, I'm sorry, Romans chapter 3 verse 25, that you're the justifier of those that believe in Jesus. You're declaring people righteous based off their belief in Jesus Christ, not based off their works. And so we're righteous not because of what we've done, but because of Jesus Christ dying on the cross to save us from our sins. And for all those that trust in Christ, the promise is they can offer up spiritual sacrifices that are acceptable unto God. And these powerful prayers of faith will have ongoing results into the future, and they'll bring about physical and spiritual healing. So let us not be cast down and uh, disheartened when we don't see our prayers being answered right away or when we don't feel like they're being answered or when we just see small things happening. But like Matthew Henry commented, let us hope and wait for great things because from what uh, little matters have great things arisen, Lord. Help us to pray. Help us to rely on you. Give us the strength and grace that we need to be uh, people who are prayerful and hoping and expectant and patient and persistent, just like Elijah was, and help us to always look to Jesus Christ for the strength in our prayers and in everything that we do. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.